Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I've always wanted to do that. Um, John is away on holiday this week, swanning about in Scotland, no doubt scouting the Loch Ness Monster. So uh, I'm having a go at hosting the podcast. Um, if I'm shit at it, please blame John for letting me do it, rather than me for, for being shit. Um, so wish me luck because here is the heaviest responsibility of, t- of them all, which is the introduction. So I'm, I'm Darren Driver, the Pablo Hernandez of the podcast, tearfully walking away as I realise I'm not really wanted anymore. And I'm joined by Tom Woodhead, the Pablo Hernandez of the podcast, um, being rolled out to solve the problems the rest of us can't, despite being a physical wreck. And finally, the Pablo Hernandez of the podcast, throwing his black armband to the ground in a fit of recalcitrance, it's Josh Hobbs. Hobbs, how's summer treating you? Yeah, good, mate. It's a glorious day where, where I am. Well done. You got you got through the uh, <laughs> you got through the intro. Just about. You, you, just about. I mean, pretty brave to put the word recalcitrance in a, in an intro that you're feeling a bit uncertain about. Both feet, mate. Every time for me. That's why I was a centre back. <laughs> oh, you you centre back. I've never mentioned it, did I? <laughs> no, I've not, I've not heard that. I've not heard that. And Hobbsy, have you fallen in love with any players that we're not going to sign this week? Oh God. About four. <laughs> well, maybe we can talk about them a bit later on. And how are you, Tom? I'm not too bad. I'd like to point out that summer doesn't actually start until the 21st of June. This is one of my bugbears, the, the erasure of spring from the discourse. Um, <laughs> but apart from that, I'm very good. Um, and I'm, I'm ready to talk about Pablo for a while. Yeah, if it goes over 18 degrees, it's summer to me, and I don't care what the calendar says. So um, we, we, we usually have a bit of news here, and, and I think the news in terms of Leeds United really is that, that there is no news at the moment. But, but the Euros do start on Friday. So, Josh, how are you feeling about the Euros? Yeah, um, I'm going to be busy because uh, I'm watching it for work, so that's mm. that's not too bad, uh, not too bad at all. But yeah, I mean, three games a day in some days, that's that's fun. Yeah, that does sound like good. fun. Any any Lots particular of... players you're looking forward to watching? Um, yeah, I mean, 
well, I guess we're going to talk in a minute about the Leeds players. So it'd be interesting. To, I think someone like Tyler Roberts might get a decent amount of minutes, and yeah. uh, it'd be good to see how how he does. Um, obviously, I want to see Phillips. And then a weird part of me just wants to see Alioski absolutely tearing it up <laughs> for for North Macedonia, even if they, even if they, like even if he's leaving us, I just I want to see him just do some mental things and score score a penalty in the top corner or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. The Guardian uh, preview was was referring to Alioski tearing up and down the left hand side yesterday, and I had a, a little chuckle about that. So yeah, what, what about you, Tom? Anything you're looking forward to in particular? Um, no, I think it will be nice that I think most of the games are going to have fans at them, so that will continue uh, just watching football with fans in the stadium. And I know people get quite down on international football, and especially the games during the season, like the friendlies and uh, the qualifiers, they are really bad. But I do I do like both the Euros and the World Cup when they come round. Um, it's something different, and I think it's a slightly ever so slightly less tainted version of football as well, even though the quality isn't as high as club football. Um, it, yeah, People still are obsessed with money at FIFA and at UEFA and these the people running things, but it feels a bit more hidden. It doesn't feel quite so obvious that you're just watching uh, this this product that exists mostly for the generation of capital. So it'll be nice to pretend that that's not the case for a few weeks. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a really fair point. And we've we've got a few players involved, haven't we? So we've got Calvin playing for England, obviously. Uh, Cooper's going away with Scotland. Click going away with Poland. Uh, Roberts with Wales. Robin Cock with Germany. Um, and Alioski, as they say, may not be as much longer, but still is at the moment uh, going with North Macedonia. So that that's, should be a good level of involvement and some decent minutes for, for, for all of those players, I would imagine. It seems like uh, Urente might, might be out of the Euros with COVID, so that, that's a bit of a... A bit of a shame, especially for those of you that enjoy watching him play. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you're, actually, you're the uh, number one. No, t- to be fair, one in the fan club, aren't you? No, to be fair, I wouldn't mind watching him play for Spain because I don't care what happens to them. So I, it would be quite fun uh, there, I would imagine. Um, and it seems like Rodrigo's got a bit of an emergency call up to be on a kind of reserve list. So that that's that'll be interesting to see. But the thing I was most pleased about um, was Ben White's call up. So I, I know that we're all fully paid up and subscribe members of the Ben White fan club here. So I just wondered if you wanted to have a have a second to reflect on that, Hobsey. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm delighted for him. I think, um, yeah, we, we were saying in our in our group chat how we, we all, just as soon as we sort of saw him play for us at, straight away, even in pre-season, there was that sort of feeling of um, panic disappearing because he was replacing an important player in, in Janssen as much as not everyone were huge fans of Janssen. It was a it was a big job for a yeah. a player who'd never been in the championship before and you could just tell straight away, oh championship is not his level because yeah. he's above the level. <clears throat> So great. He made it a non-issue as well. I think there's a bit of revisionism goes on with Janssen, I think. At the time, I think most people thought he was one of our best players when he left. I don't think it was this... Uh, oh, yeah, you know, I it's, definitely it's easy, it's easy looking back to, to say, oh, yeah, it, it, was, it was an obvious improvement or whatever. But I think people were really, really worried at the time about losing Janssen. And yep. he, he just made it a complete non-issue. I was, I was in that camp. Like, for me, I, I, thought, I thought that was a, a huge mistake. When I, when I first saw it, but as soon as I saw him play, uh, I realised, oh, this is going to be okay. 
Anyway, as, as happy as I am for Ben White, we're not here to talk about an ill-advised international kickabout. We're here to talk about Pablo Hernandez. So uh, in, in the first bit of Pablo news uh, today, Pablo posted on Instagram that their families had um, a new arrival, uh, a little girl. And I suppose we just want to send congratulations to the whole family. That's really nice. Nice bit of news for him. Um, but let's start with a, with a touchy-feely, touchy-feely question. I'm going to come to you first, Tom, as, I do, as, as is sensible on most touchy-feely things. Um, and then I'll come to you, Hobbsy. So, Tom, how, how do you reflect on, on Pablo's time at Leeds as a kind of overall thing? I think it's difficult to think of a better signing that Leeds United have made in the modern era. You know, and if you take the sort of um, the cut off of 1991, which is what people tend to do is when, you know, sort of modern football began. Three, I think, um, signings in that era. Um, and you could argue about people like Radaby or Strachan. Well, Strachan wasn't in that signed in that era, was he? So Radaby, uh, maybe Beckford, possibly, or, or, or Becchio, people like that. But I don't think anyone was quite able to elevate the rest of the team as much as Pablo was when he was at his best, which was very often. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Obzi? Yeah, I mean, for me, he's, he's my favourite Leeds player probably in my lifetime. Like, I, I can... I grew up originally watching the George Graham team not not so, <laughs> not, not so not so fun but then but then it was the David O'Leary team which yeah. was you know some amazing young players to watch uh, and then many years of shite and then Pablo came and that was that was the start of something obviously we you know we know how important Bielsa is in in this story but Pablo brought some joy straight away you could tell this is a player and uh, yeah he he brought us incredible moments and I'm very sad that we won't watch him anymore yeah absolutely do you have an initial memory of seeing him play for Leeds Hobsey well I I just reminded myself of it actually because just before we came on to this I I decided to watch all the um, events featuring him in his uh in his debut against Fleetwood in the Carabao Cup and uh yeah just reminding myself of that moment of being like what the heck is this guy doing playing for us like <laughs> in and I, I've thought that a few times but mostly in negative uh senses <laughs> <laughs> whereas with Pablo it was like oh like look like we know we knew his quality because he he'd played for Valencia, he'd had a cap for Spain. Like we, we knew how how good he was, but this was obviously a few years later. He'd been to Qatar, or, or was it Saudi Arabia? I can't remember. Al Arabi. I don't know. I don't know what. <laughs> I don't actually know which nation that is. I think it's Qatar. But you realised, like, oh, he's still got that quality. Just w- the way he controlled the ball, the way he turned, the way he passed. There was something special straight away. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Tom? Have you got a memory of seeing him for, for Leeds for the first time? Well, it was. I must. I'm pretty sure I did watch that Fleetwood game as well at the time. Although I don't have many memories of it, but I do remember the game after, which, uh, in which Pablo started in a as one of the two central midfielders in a four four two against Birmingham City. Um, and I just watched that back uh, before we recorded. Well, I watched some of the first half basically, and. 
my memory of the game was that it was an absolute disaster and there's no way this guy can play in a 4-4-2. And I think that's probably true when you, you look at the first goal that Birmingham score. He's caught upfield and he's rushing back, trying to get back to his man. But his passing and the way and the way he controlled the game, it was just immediately familiar watching it back. It was it was very similar to the way he played in our last season in the championship where he was coming deep a lot, dictating the play, always asking for the ball. It was him and Ronaldo Vieira in the middle. And although it was a an ill-fated experiment, which was only done because Gary Monk was too weak to stick by his original plan because uh, Marcus Antonsen got a goal. Uh, yeah. I think he scored in that Fleetwood game. game. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so he he had to be in the team. Obviously, like this this amazing new striker we've got from Sweden. So uh, that meant that Pablo was playing in the middle of a four four two. Which what what really surprises me over his entire time at Leeds is that he was able to even after after beginnings like that where he was always talked about as a. He was talked about as almost like a soft touch. Um, you know, there was all this thing about, oh, he doesn't like playing away and things like that. But then he was able to come into the Bielsa team and keep up with all these younger guys and, and do all the pressing and do all the work. And I think that just speaks to um, not only his talent, because we all know about his talent, but also the dedication of a man who's now in his 30s, um, having basically a second crack at being a, an amazing footballer after you know his little jaunt in the Middle East. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and when I put out a, a last call for for Pablo comments this morning, Joe Brennan put a really kind of great comment on 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 the All Stats Twitter page, which was, um, I just want to point out the period of time in which he was the sole reason I went to Elland Road every week, and I can I can really identify with that because although the Gary team, Gary Monk team, were kind of, you know reasonably effective to a point it was pretty joyless and 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 you know the chance to watch Pablo Hernandez from from the from the lower east stand was was just a real joyous um opportunity uh f- f- for me and for lots of other people he's quite often compared with Gordon Strachan you referred to Gordon Strachan earlier uh Tom and Hobbsy you're probably a bit too young um to to really kind of remember Strachan but I'm sure you've heard uh, long-winded start tales of his daring do from the likes of me and other people. Um, so, so Tom, how do you think the the comparison with with Strachan sits? I mean, honestly, I wasn't really watching much football around the time Strachan was playing for Leeds either. My, I do remember him being a part of that team, uh, but I, you know, that was when, when Leeds won the title when I was about seven or eight, and I wasn't I wasn't really that into football, so. My, a lot of my earliest memories of Strachan are actually when he was playing for Coventry, like in terms of actually watching him playing. Um, but I, th- I think there are obvious and clear parallels. It's a player coming towards the end of their career, um, taking a step down to a lower division and running the midfield, basically. So, um, it, you know, the, pa- it's, it, the parallels, there, there's more than one kind of set of parallel threads linking those two players so I think it's a totally fair comparison it's it's interesting that we, you mentioned that the the football under Monk was quite joyless and I agree um but I do think it's uh, we we do have Gary Monk to thank I think yeah. for the fact that Pablo Hernandez signed at all because obviously they knew each other from Swansea and it, it was nothing to do with Massimo Cellino other than the fact that he you know presumably got the deal done you know may, maybe he was convinced at 2am uh, on one of his <laughs> all-nighters uh, by by Gary Monk, and maybe Gary Monk knew, knew that that's the time to ring him up because it, it didn't seem like a very Chilino signing to hire this this old guy uh, from the Middle East because I imagine he will have been on decent money as well um, compared to the players that we had at the time. Oh, I think I think that's why he was there because 
it was a good payday for him, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And he, he initially came on loan, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I'm really happy with that as a as a kind of legacy for for Gary Monk, really, in the sense that if he did one good thing, then then yeah, definitely uh, that was it. I mean, I what I, I was around. Uh, when Strachan was around, his first full season was also my first full season, and yeah, I think you're right to say, you know, Tom, that 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 the comparison is really fair in the sense that you know, a player dropping down a level and and coming in and running the midfield. But I think it's just important to say that in terms of personality, you couldn't probably meet two more different people. I think Pablo's quite. Uh, quiet and reserved and and just let his football kind of lead really whereas I think Strachan uh, my memory of him is just constantly bollocking everybody for the entirety of every match and um, and I, th- I think from that point of view they were very different so how does um, how does Leeds Pablo comp- compare to the the Pablo that plays uh, at Valencia and, and Swansea have you guys had a look at some of that stuff um, over the last couple of days well I know that um, I know he was much more of a of a winger uh, in his in his Valencia days, sort of his coming through in Spanish football. Uh, and I think he played more from the left at that, that period of time. Uh, and he had, a obviously, he was younger, had a bit more pace about him, a little bit more of a dribbler than, than he had. Like, he, he always had that vision and he was always a player looking to play through balls. Like I think that's something that, we see throughout his time with us that that's something that never changes his sort of output of basically trying to put runners in behind. But he was a runner in behind a little bit more himself at, at that period of time. And my just my memory of him playing for Swansea was that um, I don't think he quite delivered in the way that they perhaps imagined that he would, no, knowing that they'd got him from Valencia at the time where players coming out of Valencia were like Juan Mata, David Silva, David Villa. Yeah, and that was the time was when Val- like... Valencia were the next best, wasn't it, really? After. Yeah, exa- yeah. And and he he d- I mean he did well for them. He he won the he won the league cup with them, scored five goals, but I think they were probably hoping for a little bit more than two seasons out of him and I think when I, when I had a, a look at some of the clips over the last couple of days, I was surprised by how quick he was in those early days because that's not really, my, you know, your memory of him, is it? What about you, Tom? Have you got any reflections on on the differences between the Leeds Pablo and the Pablo of old? Yeah, I mean, as you say, he was much more of a scamperer, wasn't he, uh, back in the day? And um, I think it's quite. I, I know, I know, we like to joke about how um, international football doesn't mean anything, but. To, to get four caps in that Spain team around yep. 2009, yeah. 2010, is you have to be very, very good to get to get in that squad at the time because it was just possibly the best international team of all time. So um, I think that tells you how highly he was thought of at the time. And he possibly gave that Spain team as well something that they didn't have, um, a sort of slightly different option, which is possibly why they tried him a few times because that team was all, especially... Um, especially towards the end, um, it became very, very staid and uh, all about keeping possession. They were playing Fabregas up front. And I can imagine having that injection of pace and something a bit more raw. And it's weird to think of Pablo as raw, but although he's incredibly good technically, I don't really consider him to be a refined player, if that makes sense. And it sounds like an insult, but it's not. I think because he's always trying the hardest thing, um, it almost seems like a 
a sort of creative midfielder version of a sort of barreling centre back who runs into people. Like, um, <laughs> it's, I, 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 know, I know it's a bit of a stretch, but uh, I, he he's got a kind of um, unpredictability about him that stops him from being one of these neat, technical, but ultimately not very effective players. Uh, and uh, and it speaks to a sort of level of bravery as well. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think if he was twenty four now and playing in the Premier League or, or playing in? Um, in the league, do you think he'd have a better chance of getting more Spain caps? Probably, yeah, because that their, their squad is nowhere near as good as it was. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And one thing I'm just reflecting on, just looking at, because we've got this list of teams he's played for and appearances, it's kind of wild to see that he, I mean, this should be obvious, but he's made his most appearances for Leeds, which is, that's, that's kind of amazing. Yeah, and absolutely, and, and although it, the, the kind of um, the discourse around him was it was kind of old by the time he came to Leeds. That the the, the, game, the time at Leeds was the only time in his career that he played over thirty games in any season, and he did it uh, in I think three consecutive seasons. So that's really amazing for a guy at that at that stage of his career. So um, some of the questions that we got got on the, the Twitter page seem to be really around on the feed. Really seem to be around kind of what was the difference between the Bielsa version of Pablo versus what was like the the, the pre Bielsa version and, and I know you, you guys have had a look into that um this morning. So so what if anything changed, Hobsey? I think a big thing was his position changed a a good few times uh over over his whole career at Leeds. So it, as Tom said, he was he sort of first started in, in central midfield uh by Monk, but he really played sort of as a ten. Uh in in that season, we were playing like a four two three one, and he was playing as a ten. And then after that season, he primarily played on the left. And uh, if you remember, sort of, it feels to me like the end of that Christensen slash Heckingbottom season was basically saved by him scoring a few goals, cutting in from the left. Uh, and then he starts the Bielsa first season on the right and he played he briefly came into midfield when Saiz was out and then then we started playing Roberts there and he went back to the right and then in, in the last season uh on in the championship he was primarily a, a midfielder for us so yeah so we saw him play a few different positions also a big thing that changes, we were just on the ball so much more. That obviously suited him. He could dictate games. Uh, and we started to see him get a lot more assists from open play. I was really surprised looking back that his first five assists for Leeds were all corners. Uh, when we had uh, Janssen and Bartley attacking corners, we had a real, plus Wood, we had a real threat there. It did seem like we like nearly all of our goals were corners that season. Mm. Tom, did you have any uh, any reflections on on the difference between the two versions of Pablo at Leeds? Yeah, I mean, I, I I thought the most interesting thing that's been done with Pablo, and the most interesting thing that Bielsa did with Pablo, was playing him on the right. Um, I don't think that's a move that many coaches would have made. Um, playing him on the left, as Christiansen did, seems like the logical and the sort of orthodox thing to do with a a player who doesn't have a huge amount of pace anymore, but is good creatively and likes to come inside. Um, and I think playing 
playing uh, Pablo on the right, and at first it was Alioski on the left mainly, I think. It's just, it, it really went against a lot of the uh, footballing orthodoxy of the time, I think. Um, and I think Bielsa in general does like to play people on their normal side more often than most coaches do, um, into like the right footer on the right uh, side and left footer on the left side. And I think it, I, I think it really, it was a really interesting thing to do, and it it, it made us wider basically. And, and I think that's that's why he does it is to is to stretch the pitch. And 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 Pablo can is is good enough that he can come inside, and he and he, even if he's using his right foot, he can do interesting things and play interesting balls inside. Whereas if you if you're doing if you're on the left, you're going to come inside all the time. And I think uh, when he when he finally had that trust. Um, to to do both, he became a more dangerous player. I think um, because he could still go outside. His dribbling ability was still there, even if his um, even if he didn't have the pace. So that that was for me the most interesting period of Pablo. And I think uh, we were going to. I mean, this, the next question was going to be about his Leeds peak. And I think I think the first Bielsa season was when he was at his absolute best, playing on the right. It's interesting about him on the right because. He, I would say he he could receive the ball out wide, but then what he would do on the ball would largely be in that sort of just inside right, that that half space um, position. And he's, I, think, I remember him getting a, a few assists for uh, for Roof, where he was crossing from sort of nearer to the corner of the box rather than really far like out to the touchline. Uh, I think that's where his delivery was really dangerous from where he would get do these like clipped balls in uh rather than sort of like whipped crosses there was this one um that he put in against Ipswich when I think Hernandez and Roof had both been out injured Ipswich yeah (laughs) against Ipswich yeah when um when they both came back from injury uh and he yeah he put in one of those sort of little dinked crosses and Roof headed and and scored um but yeah I I think it was really interesting to see how he would sort of receive the ball out wide and come in and sort of get get defenses ped like backpedaling, and then he would look to play players in behind or cross from there. Yeah, did his role change when Saez went in that first season? Because because my memory is that 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 it, the way he played might have done, and he might have been dropping deeper as a result. Have you got any any thoughts about that, Hobbsy? Well, I think. I really liked it at the start of that season where we had both of them in the team, partly because it just meant that it always kept the opposition guessing. Uh, like when when you know you've got a mark, uh, you've got to mark both uh, both of them. You've got a lot more on your plate. <laughs> Whereas I think when uh, I think Saez really dropped off when Hernandez got got injured. And it, he sort of had all the burden to carry and teams were doubling up against him. But when Saez then left, I felt that that didn't, that didn't hamper Hernandez in the way that Saez was struggling when Hernandez was out. So that he just seemed to be able to overcome being doubled up on. And I don't know whether it was because he was more on the right as I said, he did play in the midfield for a short period of time, but then we got Roberts in, and I think maybe Roberts helped create a bit of space for Hernandez again. Yeah, I, w- I wonder whether I think 
I think my memory is that, that when Saez was playing in that team, he would come and collect the first pass and turn and sort of drive through the midfield. And I think I think maybe Pablo started doing some of that a bit more. And, and I think you're right. I think Roberts was able to kind of create the space for him for him to do that. Have you got any thoughts about that, Tom? Um, no, I mean, I agree with everything that's been said. I think also uh, when Saez went, I think Click started roaming a bit more as well. And I think he pulled, he pulled wide a lot more. Like almost there were periods... Um, I think especially when it was Click and Forshaw as a central midfield pairing, when um, Click was almost acting like an omni-winger, like he would kind of go to whichever side the ball was at yeah, um, and, and, and help out with build-up on, on both sides. And, and I think that really, really helped Pablo because uh, Click is obviously so great at those little little triangles and little bits of build-up uh, in, in sort of quite tight areas on the flanks. So although... I do think we definitely lost something creatively when Saez went. I don't think it was anything to do with Pablo dropping off, or or, or equally, I don't think Pablo really needed, really stepped up creatively necessarily to start with. Um, I think we became more reliant on him as the season went on. I think that was even more true in the second Bielsa season. I, I, I don't think it was a there was some huge change in Pablo's play when Saez went, even though it was quite a big effect on it had quite a big effect on the team. So, so Tom, when, when you've already touched on this a little bit, but talk a little bit about why you think that first Bielsa season was his was his peak as a Leeds player. I think he had very very few bad games that season. Um, he he played most of the season. I think I think there was he had one. I think did he have one injury shortly before Christmas. But apart from that, I think he was mostly fit. As we talked about, I think his role um, on the right was very important, and he was he was sort of our he was he was a, a creative fulcrum uh, in a team that didn't have a huge amount of creative players. And although that was true in the second season as well, um, I think he just had that little bit more physically in the first season. Um, you could just start to see the signs of him slowing down in the second half of the second season and the injuries were starting to get to him. And it's not that he wasn't incredible because he absolutely was, but I just think he was, he was really, really on it and um, physically just that little bit ahead of where he was the next season. Yeah, it was amazing how sharp he was, particularly at the start of that first Bielsa season, wasn't it? If you remember the goal against Derby where he kind of rescued that ball going out on the byline and, and, and crossed it in for Alioska, I don't think we'd really seen Hernandez do that sort of, you know, chasing a lost cause or, or do that sort of running in the, in the previous season. It's pretty incredible. And Hobbsy, uh, what about what about Pablo's Leeds peak? Do you agree that it was that first Bielsa season? Yeah, I, I think in terms of a full season, y- yes, but that promotion run-in, just in terms of a condensed period, that like he was on another level. Obviously, like we could only we could only really play him for a half because he had a, half a hamstring, but the the level that he was playing at at that period of time was superhuman, really, and and I think he. I think he, um, I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, he pushed us on. He, he was just not going to allow us to not go up. So, so Hobbsy, what do the what do the stats say about his um, his influence on the team? Talk us through the, the seasons that he played and and any interesting tactic, uh, statistical anomalies that come out from that. I worked my way up from when he joined. So in uh, sixteen seventeen, when his main position was the attacking midfield, he played uh, three thousand and ten minutes in the league. With six goals and eight assists um, at a rate of 0.18 and 0.24 per 90, uh, respectively. With a total of 5.4 xG uh, at 0.16 per 90 and 0.85 expected assists at 0.29. So he was a little bit let down um, by his teammates, missed out on a, on a couple of assists. There And I think that kind of feels about how I remember it in terms of him creating a lot of chances that we didn't necessarily put away. Uh, he received 35.7 uh, passes per 90. He played 52.83 passes per 90, 2.63 through balls, 10.94 passes to the final third and 11.87 progressive passes. So... He was one of the best creators in the league uh, in his first season. Uh, And that makes sense, being that we finished just outside the playoffs. 17-18, so his main position is left wing. He's played more minutes, uh, 3,223 minutes. Seven goals at 0.2 per 90. Six assists at 0.17 per 90. Uh, He was pretty much matched his XG with 6.98 XG at 0.19 per 90. So scoring as you'd expect him to. This is a big discrepancy here. It says expected assists in that season was 10.99. Wow, with six actual Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so mm. he, was, he was really ticking in terms of creating. And we were not a good team. No. Uh, but yeah, so we, he missed out on basically five assists uh, from poor finishing. And if you think of who we had up front for quite a bit of time, Caleb Ekiban. And Lasaga. Um, I mean, Lasaga was pretty clinical, but he he didn't couldn't play that much, whereas Ekiban played quite a bit. And my main memory of him was thinking, this guy is a real athlete, but he cannot shoot. Anyway, so 29.88 passes received per 90 so he's gone down in terms yeah, quite of his, a drop off, isn't it, really? how often he was able to get on the ball 45.1 passes that he played obviously that's lower because he's getting it less but 2.93 through balls so he'd actually sort of improved a bit in terms of playing through balls 
8.71 passes to the final third. And this was the only season where I couldn't find progressive passes for him because he didn't feature in the top 30 wow. uh, in the league, which is when you consider that he did in all the other seasons. Uh, and it meant that he he must have played less than 10 progressive passes uh, per 90. So that's a big drop-off on what he had before. So the first Bielsa season, playing mostly on the right, this is where he played his most minutes for Leeds, with 3,783, which is a lot considering his age. So it's kind of no surprise that he got injured a bit uh, in the next season. It's his best season in terms of output, with 12 goals at 0.29 per 90 and 10 assists at 0.24. And am I right in thinking, Hobbsy, that that's not only the best season of his Leeds career, but actually in terms of output, the best season of his entire career? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 9.95 XG at 0.24. Again, he was let down because his expected assists were 11.69 at 0.28. We know that we finished really badly in the second half of that season. So again, who's, who's surprised? Uh, about that so back up uh, in terms of passes received at 43.3 and he's playing 58.62 passes per 90 2.9 through through balls 11.59 passes to the final third which is that's a huge increase and 14.39 progressive passes so he's gone from not featuring in the top 10 to at that point he was then playing more Progressive passes than anybody else in the whole league. Yeah, uh, and that's from a position of right wing. So just to put that into context, it's normally players that play further back that play the most progressive passes. Yeah, uh, because they've they're obviously receiving the ball further away from goal. They're and what, what's what's the definition of a, pro- a the technical definition of a progressive pass? Obviously, just remind me. Uh, what? So this is from Y Scout. So the Y Scout definition is. Uh, any pass that moves the ball uh, at least 10 metres closer right. to the opposition goal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, but it can't originate in your own defensive third. Okay, yeah, thanks. Uh, and then last season, so his main position was midfield, uh, 2,685 minutes. We know he had a few different injuries. Still managed nine goals at 0.3 per 90, so he's actually scoring more frequently than any other point. Uh, And he made more assists with 11, and that's at 0.37 per 90. His XG 6.3 at 0.27 and 9.15 expected assists. So this was the first time that uh, his teammates actually scored more from his passes than they should have. Uh, and he received the ball more often than any other season, which is not surprising. Find Pablo, find Pablo, find Pablo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and being <laughs> a hit, that was you know what we were trying to do, as Calvin Phillips said in a uh, in an interview, basically athletic, when he gets the ball, yeah. that yeah, yeah. that's his first thing that he's thinking. So forty six point nine received passes, sixty two passes per ninety, two point nine two through balls, eleven point two passes to the final third, and thirteen point eight eight progressive passes. So slightly down, but he was still the top uh, in the league for that. Can I just ask a question about the progressive passes thing? Yeah. Um, now that you've given that definition, when you say it has to move the ball towards the opposition goal, do you mean the opposition goal line or the actual goal? Because 
if it's the goal, then say a, a cross, a deep cross, could be a progressive pass. Yeah, I think I think that it I think that it is to the goal. Right. Okay. So yeah, yes, a, a, a pass from a wide area that goes towards the goal does actually count. It's not just forward pass. Any thoughts on all that stat stuff there, Tom? There's quite a lot to get your teeth into there. Isn't there? <laughs> I just listed. Hopefully, I didn't just list some numbers. <laughs> I I think the thing that surprised me the most was that he had less progressive passing distance per ninety in in the nineteen twenty season than he did in the eighteen nineteen season. Because I would have thought he it seemed like he was dropping deep a lot more in in that last season. I so I thought would have and playing quite a lot of long balls. Um, you know, th- like I think of that goal for Harrison to run onto against was it, um, was it Fulham, yeah, things like that. So I quite surprised at that, but I mean, it's it's a big list of numbers, isn't it? It is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So sorry if I just lost everyone there, but I, I hope hope it gave some context. But I think the that progressive passes thing that you're saying, I think partly it was because he was a li- he made himself a bit more involved in build up. And so, actually, there were times where he was just keeping the ball moving. Uh, but, I mean, 14.39 to 13.88, it's not much of a drop. Um, it's, I, the, the, the huge jump from less than 10 to 14.39, that, that's the real story, I think. Yeah, and, and I think what it does show as well is that, that what you both said about the first Bielsa season being his peak... You know, and that was mostly to the eye test. The, the stats really kind of demonstrate that as well. That that in that season he was kind of imperious, and he was still very good in the in the following season. Um, but but perhaps yeah, like you say, maybe because of the injuries, things are starting to slightly catch up with him. Um, this is going to sound a bit like a strange question, given that, that the team won won the league by by ten points last season. But you know, in the promotion running, would we would we have done it without him with the performances that he put in in that in that kind of promotion running? I think just the running, I think we would. Not the whole season. I, I, I don't think we would have got promoted um, if he'd say it got injured in the first game and we hadn't replaced him. I, I think we probably would have ended up in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, just the running, I think we probably still would have scraped through because none of the other teams were exactly putting amazing runs together, were they? Um, at that point. Do you not remember think... that period of time where pe- people were convinced that Brentford were going to win all 11 games? <laughs> and they won, what did they win, nine or ten? I think they won nine yeah. and then they lost two. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, what do you think, obviously, do you think we would have got still... I think we w- I think we would have done, but he he ensured that we we did it at a counter, really. Uh, I think I think he just was not he was not going to allow it to become too tense. Although everyone, like if you zoom out, everyone was incredibly tense. Uh, And I mean, think back to the Barnsley game and, you know, who wasn't completely shitting himself (laughs) in the the Barnsley game, even though he had just scored basically the most important goal uh, of, of the last sort of, 16 years of Leeds United. So what was his influence on those games? Obviously, you know, because he mostly came on at half-time for a lot of those games. Yeah. What, what did he do? I think he he gave us a calmness on the ball. Um, if you think of that Fulham game that we ultimately won 3-0, we went 1-0 up 
in the first half, but then it was pretty horrible. Like Bamford scored, I think, in the first 10 or 11 minutes. Uh, 10 or 11. Why did I say 10 or 11? He scored, he scored, scored early. early. <laughs> 10 or 11. <laughs> I think it was anyway. the ninth minute, actually. Obviously. <laughs> he scored very early. Um, but then Fulham were kind of all over us, really. I've, that was a very uncomfortable half. Uh, but we brought on Pablo and he just took the game away from them completely. And that the pass that he played for Harrison, um, obviously just a stunning moment. Uh, but yeah, on, on the whole, he just he just meant that we always had someone that could change the tempo uh, and and just swing any game our way. Yeah. What about you, Tom? Yeah, I think there was an important psychological effect as well because we were usually bringing him on at half time, and quite often it was goalless. I think at half time or you know, we were struggling to really create much. And I think it just gave the players a real lift when Pablo came into the team. They, as you know, as I said, they had someone that they could target. They had someone that they knew if you give him the ball, he will do his damnedest to create something. And he, and he very, very often did. So I think psychologically it was very important. And just for the fans at home, like, you know, everyone was at home at this point. And I think it just gave some reassurance when Pablo came on because you know then that the guy could, you know, you can thread a, a ball through the eye of a needle. So, yeah, I, I, it was, it just, he just brought a sense of calm that I think was really, really desperately needed at the time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, I think you're right. I think there was the bits where he, where he got assists and he got goals and, and that, that, you know, those were obviously all amazing things, but I think it was really the sense of control that he gave us during those, you know, in the times when he was on pitch. I remember the Blackburn game when I think we were, we were either a goal ahead or it was a tight game and basically Blackburn couldn't get the ball at all in the second half and just because Pablo was playing keep ball with click and, and it really kind of made that a much more comfortable experience than it would have been without him, I think. Um, so in the season just gone, you know, the, our first season back in the Premier League, I think I think it'd be fair to say that, that he had a disappointing season, that he had limited minutes. It's probably a frustrating season for him. But but what, what highlights were there, if there were any in there, uh, Tom? Um, I think... Uh, there the were the assists in the Newcastle game when we beat them five two. Um, he came on and he was he was he was kind of given a free reign to just do his usual Pablo thing in our half in that game as well. They really sat off him. And it, they played appallingly that game. Newcastle, I think, like um, didn't take any notice of the ways that you could possibly get at Pablo by pressing <laughs> him. Um, you know, with his advancing years and just allowed him to do his thing, and it was beautiful. Like he, a couple of lovely balls uh, uh, for the for the goals. And yeah, the the final game of the season was just a wondrous thing to see him back doing his thing. You know, it was like as much like a testimonial game as you'll ever get <laughs> during a regular season. Um, it was re- I was really disappointed that that first goal was ruled out in that in that game because that would have been an assist in his final uh, game for Leeds, which would have been quite fitting. But um, it was still just really nice to to have him out there and and and. The fact that he was, even even though he'd he'd barely played this season, when he did start, he was still running the game, and I think that was partly that the players were deliberately finding him because of the occasion. But he was, he was our main creative player in that game. Hobbsy, I think it's like I don't know. This isn't really a highlight, but something that sticks in my mind is his shot that he had against Leicester, where yeah. 
pinged off the bar and it that it's such a shame that that didn't go in because that would have been a peak Pablo moment where like in previous seasons we we were like we'd be crying out from a moment for a moment like that from him and yeah it's such a shame that he didn't get that for us in in the Premier League yeah. um, but that that was that was a wonderful moment and he was denied it by a you know an inch Absolutely. So, Hobbsy, how do we fill the the gaps that he leaves? Because it's not it's not obvious to me how we do. Because you know, yeah. He, so, what what do you think? But I don't think I don't think we can <laughs> with a, with current squad. Uh, Rodrigo and Rafinha they they both have aspects of of his attributes, um, but I think it's mostly in in transitional play that they have it. So, Rodrigo's got that vision to play some of the through balls that. Um, that Pablo did that would spring dangerous counters. I think of a couple that he played against um, Newcastle away that set Rafinha uh, off uh, and uh, one that he played for Costa in the build-up to uh, Bamford's third goal uh, against Aston Villa. Um, So he's got that and Rafinha's got that drifting in from the right to cause havoc from the half-spaces thing, although He's obviously left-footed, so the angles are slightly different. But I think what we need to find uh, in a, a signing, somebody who can do what Pablo did at, at lower tempos, so can slow the slow the game down a bit, dictate the play through sort of more surgical passing, keeping the ball moving, but probing and looking for that, that ball that penetrates a, a low block. I just don't think we really have that without him. We're quite sort of gung ho, uh, but yeah, Pablo he would stop, turn, spin, wait, keep looking around for what the right passes that in that sort of very Spanish uh, way of doing things. So I uh, yeah, I I think we need to find that somehow. Yeah, I agree. Any thoughts, Tom? Well, it is a it is a difficult thing to find, isn't it? And that's the thing you can find lots of players who can control the tempo and slow the game down, but it's someone who can slow the game down and then immediately speed it back up yeah, again yeah. and provide that bit of creativity, like in a split second, and incredibly hard to find. But uh, a bit of breaking news: I know we're not normally a breaking news podcast, but Tyler Roberts has just signed a new contract oh, with Leeds, great. Uh, a new three-year deal. Um, so oh, well, you know, cool. the club obviously feel he's got. a a part to play whether that whether that's as any kind of um Pablo analog is is much more up for debate but um yeah good for, that's good one for thing. him yeah good for Tyler yeah, good for him I think he deserves it he does he absolutely does um but yeah it's you can't properly like replace like for like a player like Pablo Hernandez can you um because he's he's too he's too unique and that's what makes him great um you can you can get players who have elements of of what he does and maybe do some things even slightly better than what he does, but you're never going to find that exact alchemical blend um, of ingredients that you have with Pablo Hernandez. So you just need to look for other great players who can contribute in different ways, I suppose. Absolutely. And what what's next for Pablo? Do we think? I know it's you know probably a bit beyond the realms of of, uh, of our podcast, but have you got any thoughts, Tom, about what he might do next or what you'd like him to do next? I am interested. Um, it's always been assumed that he'd go back and play for, uh, is it Castillon yeah. Yeah. Club, um, that he co-owns. Um, but maybe he'll just retire. I, I, they seem like the only options to me that he's going to either 
play for them or retire and you know just concentrate on his family because he seems he does seem to be a family man and and someone whose family have given up a lot to be in England with him it seems over the last few years as well they seem quite keen to finally get back home so um whether he's going to take his take it easy or you know I'm, I'm sure he could still do a brilliant job in the Spanish second division which as far as I know is not particularly close to the level of the championship um it's you know it's, it's more like league one sort of level maybe um yeah so so I, w- I would have thought if if he wants to um he could run that midfield for him and do a great job I'm sure and and if he does I will be tuning in well I, I I'm, I'm planning to go over if he does and just go watch a game absolutely there. yeah me, me, me and a mate are planning to go over as well yeah it'd be great to go see that if it does happen I'm pretty sure that well they certainly have this season but I'm pretty sure that the second tier uh, of Spain is they just stream games on YouTube oh nice for free Right, okay. awesome. So it might not be the last time we've ever seen him play. Obviously, you got any thoughts about what what's next for Pablo? I mean, a few people are asking yeah, I mean, about coaching and stuff, but you won't, I wouldn't want to speculate about that. Oh, no, I mean, it, I would I would love to see him come back in a, in some sort of coaching capacity in, in one one day down the line. But we know now he wants to be in Spain. Um, yeah, let him enjoy family time. Yeah, and, and I, I think he's it, earned it. Yeah, it goes without saying that all of us here and every Leeds fan you know really wishes him wishes him the very best for the future and and uh so let's finish this off then so for for purely sentimental reasons and let you let your sentimental selves run wild while John isn't here um what is your favorite Pablo moment Tom uh mine is the goal uh in the 26th second against West Brom um I think it was the 26th second I think it was the 16th like it was even was it? quicker than that maybe, maybe oh, the gosh. 17th Uh, yeah I mean that game um, was possibly the height of my neurosis about Leeds other than (laughs) the promotion running there was something about that QPR game in midweek before it it, that just was incredibly depressing and it it felt like we'd hit a brick wall almost like like well how are we possibly going to be able to play anymore if teams are just going to sit back like this Um, and I don't think I've had such a sort of um, cathartic release um, quite as a, quite as big and quite as sudden and instant as that. The whole st- it was almost like the whole stadium was, even though the stadium was cheering, it was like everyone was holding their breath for that first, you know, sixteen seconds or however long it was, and then everyone just heaved this huge roar of relief, and it was. Genuinely, I think probably, I, I know there have been loads of great moments in Elland Road, but for me, it was possibly the most ecstatic I've ever been in the stadium just because of how quickly it came and what an amazing goal it was and, and how it just showed we've got this man who's going to, he's not going to hide. He's, yeah. he's going he's gonna to make it his business to pull us through when we go through these bad times. And, and yeah. that, that entire evening was just brilliant. It was Friday night as well, you know, yeah. um, uh, under the lights, just an absolutely perfect moment. Yeah, it was, that it was. goal was That goal was slightly ruined for me because I was not there uh, <laughs> and I was watching it on a dodgy live stream and a notification came up on my phone that it had <laughs> oh, gone <no>. in. <laughs> oh. So I knew. So the, the moment was ruined. Uh, so, I was like, oh. so you're looking at your you're looking at your phone as it went in the top corner. <laughs> it just picked, it picked, my phone pinged and I looked down and it's 
Leeds one nil, Pablo Hernandez one, and then I <laughs> looked up and it, it's oh uh, yeah, it was ruined. But I mean, oh. obviously, incredible moment, and yeah, like you said, that's him stepping up, delivering quality, and that performance was sensational, and it it's you know it's springboard from from that moment. But mine mine is the um has it's got, it has to be the Swansea goal uh, from from last season. Uh, I, I was. Uh, alone in my bedroom watching that and <laughs> just weeping because that that was the moment where I knew that we were going to do it like it was it was you know obviously we had the the horrendous experience of the Barnsley game but I knew we were going to get the points required after after that moment um and yeah and it, it was it's so great that it was him that got to deliver that and it, as much as I wanted him to score last season I don't mind that the last goal that he ever scored for for Leeds United was was that goal. I also think it's kind of it's kind of nice that it was scuffed as well. <laughs> like after, after he did so many beautiful, glorious things, um, the real telling moment and the thing that everyone's going to remember forever was a slightly. I mean, it was it was perfectly placed, but it was sort of yeah, as I say, sort of scuffed with the inside of his boot. Um, and I, I thought that was kind of nice as well. My main memory of that goal is that I just went, um, I picked my son up and just ran around the room for about two minutes over my shoulder. And when I stopped, he was like in floods of tears. He was absolutely terrified. <laughs> I had a mate and uh, my dad and his dad over as well. And uh, we were all just going crazy. Just like the boy must have been absolutely scared out of his mind with all these grown men just acting like apes. Bryn Law really went for it in that moment as well. Yeah, I really like that's that's going to go down as a, a legendary piece of Leeds United commentary. Absolutely, it's great that he got to do that, and that that kind of Bryn's commentary is is the one that is associated with that goal. Because if that had been on a on Sky or whatever, then then Bryn would have been locked away on LUTV or on the radio, and and no one would have ever really seen it. So I think that's really really great. Mm. Uh, really great. Listen to Don Don Gumbin saying yeah. it was just loud or something. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Any honourable mentions? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I, you've you've noticed I've put that down. So <laughs> thanks, but yeah, I, I mean the the pass. Uh, I mean, you can think of many passes, yep. but the pass to Dallas uh, against Stoke, we we all uh, we all loved it. Magic. Yeah. No one else would have played that. No, absolutely. Um, and I'm I'm just going to sneak the the pass that Tom referenced earlier. Uh, versus Fulham to Harrison in because that, that, I was in raptures about that for days. But also the I think it was in the Stoke game where he managed to nutmeg two players with a pass. That that was also <laughs> something that really, really stuck in my mind and, and will be in my mind's eye for forever. So Can I just can I just give one more honor, honourable mention? I, I would like yeah, um his goal against Bristol City on the opening yes. day of the um of the 1920 season because yeah. I think that was another moment when the fan base were quite nervous, quite twitchy. Everyone was a bit worried because of what had happened against Derby in the playoffs. Are we going to be the same team? Is it really going to work for a second season, this sort of madcap football? And you know, 26 minutes in, uh, he, he just produces one of his real moments of magic and does what he always does, which is settle people down when they're nervous. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. Yeah, I've got really fond memories of that too. 
Um, so I think that that does bring us to the end of our reminiscences and uh, an analysis of, of Pablo's time at Leeds. It's been really good fun talking about this with, with you guys. And although I wrote down and prepared an intro, I haven't written down and prepared an outro. So I'm kind of floundering here. So bear with me. Um, so um, I think all that there is to say is that that when John returns from his holiday, we'll be doing the second half of the the season review, which, which should be good fun. And I'm sure there'll be scouting reports popping up on 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 Patreon and, and on the Medium channel, so look out for those. Please uh, review us on, on uh, your, your podcast repository of choice, preferably a, a positive um, review. <laughs> if you're going to be negative, be creative, because those, those always give us a real good chuckle. Um, and I think all that is left for me to do is to say thanks very much to you, Josh. Cheers, mate. And thanks to you, Tom. Thanks, and thanks most of all to Pablo Hernandez. Indeed. Yes. Indeed. All right, guys. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 